all of them, I think. They need to go pretty slowly. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a cardboard box in the loft full of them. I used to record over them yeah, as I well, did. so you can sort of see artists. And oh, I didn't. I never out. did that, but I didn't send mine to the British Library. Why? Well, people could see that I made it all up. <laughs> then nobody said actually what I said. They said. But they're social history books. That's a box full of. Yeah, I did. I was thinking I should try and dig out the Nirvana one. And it's rocks like pages the key, don't they? Yeah, they. I did think about that, but I think it's a lot. You know, the trouble with a lot of those is that you, the quality of them. Yeah, you know, you're in a pub somewhere, and it's. There was a documentary quite recently which was really good on. Um, I think it was Radio Four. Yeah, uh, it was the about about so this very thing. McConey. Yes, yeah, it was, and there was some Lennon stuff and talking about setting up reel-to-reel tape machines in the late sixties. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Yeah, I must. Yeah, it's good. Come on, anyway. Anyway, so um, actually, that that Daniel Miller interview is particularly noisy. That one, Finn had a real trouble transcribing yeah. it because he couldn't understand half of it. Mm. It's a very busy restaurant, very loud. They need more sound treatment in these places. In. Restaurants, restaurants make it easier for us for to us, call yeah, definitely. as compared to the underworld one which was just like in a studio yeah right somebody else can start off this time no you're the, you're in charge I know that okay hello everybody push doesn't want to start it this this month so I will I'm Mark Rowland the deputy editor of electronic sound and we're going to talk about um, issue 42 who have we got with us today. I'm Neil Mason, I'm the commissioning editor. And I'm Push and I'm the editor. Hurrah! Now the jingle jangles you can hear are Push's bracelets, just in case. Yeah. They're bothering you. They won't come off. They, but I did have to get them off at an airport a few years ago and it yeah. was such great pain to get them off. Wire snippers? Not, no, no, this is... <laughs> Don't wear them in the first place? This is a 40th <laughs> birthday present. Is it? Yeah. When did you go? A couple of years ago, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've had them at least two years now. So this issue is um, sold out from here, from the office, with the 7-inch. Uh, it's the quickest selling issue we've done. Yes. Yeah. Sold out from here in 72 hours, so no longer orderable from us, but it is in Smith's. Yeah, and other news agents. In all good news agents. Well, if you do want to guarantee future issues yeah. of electronic sound and not missing out on them, where where do we where do we have to go? Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, what you could do is go to uh, electronicsound.co.uk/slash/subscribe, where you can subscribe to the bundle, which is pretty much the only way you can guarantee you're not going to miss out on future magazine slash bundle offers and also it's a pound cheaper who wouldn't do that a seamless advert segue that was yeah but that is the because the the in the shops it's just the magazine we don't put the vinyl or the cds out into the shops yeah so if you want the vinyl and the cd you want the bundle as we call it then you do need to get it from us and as this one has proved you need to be pretty bloody quick um so yeah, subscribing to the bundle is the uh, is the best way to guarantee that. And also, um, it's the best way to support the magazine if that's uh, if that's your motivation in any way. 
it really does help us to have people subscribed like that. Um, so apparently the website's address I just gave you was incorrect. Uh, so don't go to whatever it was I just said and do go to www.electronicsound.co.uk slash bundle. Only a fool would say that that was slash subscribe <laughs> when it's actually slash bundle. See, in my day, using the word bundle meant, <laughs> meant, was one, a... meant one thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a playground invitation that uh, you didn't want to take up. Yeah, absolutely. On the whole. But uh, this is a magazine invitation you do want to... Okay, let's move on. So, so what, uh, what was in this issue? In this We're issue a bit late as well, so uh, for anyone who's been waiting, apologies for being so late. <laughs> We've been very busy. Yeah, the podcast is late. Um, the mag sold out from here. It's um, it's all going very well this month. <laughs> it, uh, is it is going well. It is going. Well. We've got mute records on the cover of this one, and our seven-inch that you can't get anymore is the um, was a reissue on beautiful crystal clear vinyl of the Normals TVOD slash warm leatherette. Um, so we did a thousand copies of those and um and yeah delighted to have got that uh thank you so much to daniel miller and uh everybody at mute records and um i was lucky enough to go and have lunch with daniel and have a, an interview with him which was um very very enjoyable i have to say it's one of those you know when you interview some people and you come away thinking i think that's my favorite ever interview mm -hmm. i think that one is my favorite ever interview wow. it was brilliant daniel oh. what did you have for lunch uh, well, I had sushi, which was uh, actually I write about that in the piece because because yeah. uh, I'm a um, I'm like a three-year-old with chopsticks. I just can't. They go in every direction with me. And Daniel had um, Daniel wasn't eating too much. He had a salad and some sea and some seaweed and um, quite a lot of green tea. And he very kindly pretended not to notice as I threw sushi in his direction and every other direction apart from my mouth. Um, but no, he was great. He was a really, uh, really interesting uh, guy. Um, never met him before. Um, and uh, yeah, we just kind of like... Um, I, I'm not sure how much he likes doing interviews. I think he probably likes doing them more than he used to because I think for a long time... You didn't really ever hear anything from Daniel. He's he quite was, reticent, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. and he, but I think now he's kind of DJing now himself, mm. and I think that sort of pushed him out into the sort of public arena a little bit more. And I think he he did seem to really enjoy uh, the chat. And I, I have seen more interviews with him in the last sort of couple of years than than, than yeah. almost ever before. So, um, but you know, it's, it was good because we got in, I got into talk about his his sort of growing up a little bit. Um, the, the band he was in at school, because he was in a band with uh, Paul Kossoff from Free. That's insane. Um, which was, well, I say in a band, they were kind of, they were classmates. Um, as Daniel says, Paul Kossoff was unbelievably <clears throat> fantastic guitar player, even at the age of sort of 11, 12 years old, whereas all the rest of them were kind of messing around. And he, Daniel said he tried to teach me a few things, but it was kind of, kind of hopeless. Um, and uh, but also Nick Potter from Van de Graaff Generator was in the same class as Daniel and Paul he was. as well. <laughs> um, so it was quite a quite a little music coterie they had going on there. You know, who, was, who was in the same class as you, Mark, at school? Anyone? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Jimmy Page went to the same junior school as me. No way. Way. Yeah. Whoa. 
yeah before I did I hasten to add but yeah yeah that was that's not that good that was, wow. and you Neil what and no one uh, Danny Mills England England uh, England defender Danny Mills what? went to my school that's about it I think blimey but uh, wow. also while we were sort of obsessed and thinking about mutes you know all the time while we were putting this issue together um, I was looking at the seven inch sleeve of the normal record <laughs> and of course it says on the sleeve it's a replica of the original sleeve um, the address of Mute Records, which was um, Decoy Avenue. 16 Decoy Avenue. Which, I bought that record when it came out, I was about 14, and I would have stared at it endlessly. I think, I assumed Decoy Avenue was some kind of joke. There's, you know, there's no road called Decoy Avenue. That's just a sort of futurist. Like a Mr. Ben. Or a Ballardian kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, this is just sort of a... a, a a brutalist concrete fantasy that this weird band has uh, dreamt up. But obviously I went on Google Maps and um, there it is, it's real. And then I found out that I lived um, literally a five minute bicycle ride away. <laughs> I spent my teenage years round the corner from Mute Records. So you could have gone, instead of buying that from a record shop, you could have gone round to 16 Decoy Avenue, knocked on the door and had the boss of Newt Records, yep. Mr Miller, open yep. the door and yep. you could have bought it off him. Or, which I would have done had I not thought that it wasn't real, yeah. cycled round with my copy uh, and waited, sort of slightly weirdly. And, do you think the people uh, who live there now know, know that they live... Well, I, now that they live at the address they live at. No, but I have a feeling Mr. Miller still owns that house. <laughs> Perhaps you shouldn't say that. How do you? How do, why do you say that? It's just an instinct. Oh. I don't think. I, I think he would have kept onto it like a sort of uh, talisman. Like we all do. I don't know that Maybe. he would have. No. Do you know what? I bet he wouldn't have done. No. Uh, yeah. I don't. Because I don't. Yeah. I don't think, Daniel, I don't think, you know, I met Daniel and spent two or three hours with him over lunch, so I can't say I know the man, but yeah, I, I don't think he's a sort of, I think he's a forward-looking guy. <coughs> he's and I don't nostalgic, think, he, isn't he? No, he's not nostalgic, well, I don't he lives think. in Berlin, of course, isn't uh, he? He does, he shares his time between Berlin and London. Um, so I don't think, no, I don't think sort of forward-thinker like him, future-thinking kind of guy would bother about that really okay well the other bit of the feature that we we look forwards don't we to mutes we know, do it's not a it's not a retro label it's not is a retro it thing. it's all, kind of a personal all. thing with daniel about his sort of upbringing a little bit and about his family his dad in particular talks about quite a lot which is very very interesting um but yeah you're right neil we we sort of look forward <clears throat> he talks about some of the acts that they've got on the roster at the moment and some of his kind of hopes for some of them um and we've done a sort of a a bit of a guide to Mute's class of 2018, um, which is um, a, a, a kind of an interesting mix, isn't it, of artists that This brand, Cabaret Voltaire, they sound good. They sound really good. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear them. <laughs> um, but, it, they, you know, they've got a kind of a mix of, of stuff like um, more established artists like that, ACR as well, of course. But then they've got um, Erasure, um, Chris Carter. But they've got people like Daniel Blumberg and Shadow Party, a new signing. 
which Daniel really, really rates. Oh, is that the you yeah. order slash DVD? Yeah. Hybrid. Thing. Um, <clears throat> and... Li- well, it's interesting. You talked you talk Daniel talked a bit about liars because they've actually been with Newt for since 2001, um, I think it is. And um, he was, isn't it? Because he sort of said how he still thinks of them as a new signing. So do I. Though. They've only been there 18 years I or something. Of, I really <laughs> think of liars as a new band. <laughs> And Goldfrapp. Well, that's what he said as well. He said, I always yeah. think of Goldfrapp as the well, new When I read that in your piece, I thought, oh, thank God for that, because I totally think that. <laughs> They've been around nearly 20 years. I know. I know. But was there a bit, a bit in there as well about some of the new artists on Novamute? Because uh, they've resurrected Novamute, which was a sort of like the, the techno dance label that they had in the, in the 90s. And um, there are, I think there are four records that have come out so far on Novamute. And... Um, a couple of them, Charlotte DeWitt and Anna, both fantastic, the two records that have come out from, from those two, and there's more on the way. Um, in fact, actually, the, the, I think this Charlotte DeWitt, her second EP is probably out by now. Um, so, yeah, good to see that, that, that we're looking forward, to, actually, with, with you, rather than just doing a retro piece. Um, Depeche Mode get a mention in the piece, but um, it's, it's not all about, sort of, you know, the greatest hits of Mute. It's it's very much about about looking forward, which I think is what the label's always been about and what Daniel's always been about. I think. So that's good. We've got um, we've got David Sylvian in the magazine. Yeah, as well. we have. Yeah, that was amazing. Because um, Neil, you've done an interview with him. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. He famously doesn't doesn't do interviews. Doesn't doesn't talk. Doesn't you know? He doesn't pop his head up very often. <clears throat> and, and I asked because he's doing the uh, he did a some two fabulous well, they're not albums they're tracks so four tracks two tracks per per release with Holger Zuki from Ken they're incredible ambient works really really incredible and they've been out of print for a long long time and they've just been reissued by Gronland Grunland, yeah that's the German label isn't it it's run yes that's, yeah, the, they do the quite ca- a lot of that sort of um, crowd rock catalogue and all sorts of interesting stuff. Yeah, it's right. It's the, it's sort of the, is it to do with Ken? Have they got some involvement there? Or they do some amazing I think stuff. So. I mean, only in as much as I think there's a probably good relationship there, but I don't think they're sort of directly involved as far as I'm aware. So these things landed, these reissues, and mm. it's like flipping egg. These, I haven't seen these for a while, and they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible. And so I just asked whether, whether Mr. Sylvian's doing any press, thinking I'd get the ha <laughs> But and and they said yes. So that's great. There's some great photos of uh, David with David and Holger as well. Um, yeah, really, really nice. pleased with that. Yeah, some good stuff come out of that, and you you you've you've. You did it as a Q&A, basically, didn't you? Because, yeah, that's, that's the best way to do David Sylvian, I imagine. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's and, enormous, um, enormously articulate. Yeah, exactly, and that really comes across, doesn't it? That, um, yeah, no, it's a really great to get that to get that in the issue. Um, we have Finiflex in the mag as well, don't we? <laughs> formerly known, the artist formerly known as <laughs> Finny Tribe, um, who I think we're all fans of from from way back when. You went to Italy with Davey from Finney Tribe to do on a kind of DJ 
course or something? That was really strange. That was for Music Magazine, which... Um, I can't remember, who was the editor of that? Oh, who knows? Cool, that was good, that magazine. We all worked at Music back in the day, <laughs> all of us. And, um, yeah, there was a DJ school somewhere in the suburbs, this sort of pretty grim suburb of Milan. And uh, we turned up and it was all close. So, yeah, Davey Miller from Finney Tribe and, and me went, we flew over to go and learn how to be DJs at the... In the Italian school of DJing, I suppose. Didn't he know? Well, I think he probably did. Can't I mean, remember. We set it up. I can't remember what we told him. It was very, <laughs> very peculiar. And um, why? Why was this? Why? That sounds like a really strange thing to do. It was what to do a f- feature on it, or just yeah, well, just the whole thing. The whole Davey thing. And it was the first issue of music, if I remember rightly. The very was first it? issue, I think. Yeah, first or second. Well, I suppose in terms of what was going on, I mean, I think the fact that it was the first issue of music sort of says it about DJ culture, that DJ culture had exploded to this point where people wanted to learn how to do it. And so I think we there picked, were people who yeah. were prepared to open schools to charge them money to show them how to do it. And I think we picked Davey because he couldn't DJ... Oh, really? And he was wasn't a it? DJ, he was a musician. I, can't, I couldn't remember. I couldn't so remember I, that. I think right. that's what happened. I think right. we kind of like cast our net out for a volunteer. And yeah. Davey foolishly said, yeah, lovely man, Davey Willer, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a great feature, but I love the fact that it starts off with the fact that Nicholas Sturgeon <coughs> almost was almost a member of Finney Tribe. That was... That was <laughs> yeah, big, big fan of their work. <laughs> Fantastic. That was a brilliant story. Um, so we have Sink Your Teeth in the issue as well, a newish band, been on tour with um, a certain ratio recently. And local to us, the Sink yeah. Your Teeth girls. Went to see them last week, actually. Uh, their album launch, their album, their self-released, self-titled debut, which is really, really good. Album of the album of the day one day last week on BBC Six Music. It was, yeah, yeah. it's going down really well. I think yeah. they're, they're really, um, they've really nailed it. I think we've been aware of them for a long time. They did a couple of little, so, uh, little seven inches DIY seven inches, which were really good, and um, then they were going to move on to uh, doing this this album, and they were going to do it with a label, but. Um, they decided to, to go it alone, and I remember thinking, oh dear, is that a good idea? You know, sometimes you need that label support when you're going to do an album. Um, but the, and I was sort of concerned that maybe the album wouldn't be fulfil the potential, but they've really stepped up. It's a really, really good album, really great. And um, interviewing them was a blast. They're really, really good fun. And Maria is uh, her boyfriend is Joel yes who does our illustrations for Fat Roland he does which is sort of coincidental and uh, fun fact yeah 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 but I'd really recommend that record yeah it's a good record explore that one so we've also got Alex Patterson in the mag we've got uh, Claudia Brooken and Jerome Froze together in, together indeed together at last 
Um, we've got uh, Neil. What, what did you speak to Neil Arthur about this month? Oh, I don't think I did. Yes, you did. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he reveals his first and last records he bought. And, uh, What's he doing? He wrote that to? himself. I didn't talk to him. <laughs> I asked him to do it, and he did it himself. There's no talking. You're going to change the name of the magazine to Neil Arthur Sound. Well, you know, he's got a, he's got a record out, hasn't he? Yeah. He's always got a record. I can't remember what it is. What is it? Seemingly. What's the record? He's near Future? Out? Oh, yeah. Near Future album, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Near Future album. Which is a fabulous piece of work. We talk, we've talked about that because we did a feature with them. Yeah. We've got Lump. Yeah, which that's is, a, uh, Which is... Uh, uh, very interesting. Yeah. So it's Mike Lindsay. Yeah, and Laura Marling. From Tongue, whose new album is... The New Tongue album. The New Tongue album is incredible. So he's teamed up with Laura Marling to make this a rather lovely record. It's, it's very fine. It's a very interesting interview. It is an interesting interview. It's a masterclass. Yeah. In how not to do an interview. Laura wasn't very sort of... Well, yeah, no. She well, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. She wasn't and it wasn't sort of just that it was one question that she swerved. She swerved every question. <laughs> she did every single thing. And it, it was getting to the point where, you know, it was no comment. Yeah. No comment. No, she just wouldn't talk about anything. Which is which is peculiar when you're, you know, it's an odd way to promote a record. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Klaus Schultz, he's in there as well. Yeah. Lots and lots of still uh, doing it after brilliant stuff. Yeah. I was also very pleased that we have Miles Davis in this issue. I love his opening quote, where he says that the synthesizer changed. This isn't a quote in the magazine, obviously, because he's dead. But it's also a biography. Um, <clears throat> synthesizer has changed everything whether purist musicians like it or not mm. it's here to stay I want to do this in a Miles Davis growl I'm not going to do it though, no. it'd be embarrassing and you can either be in or out of it I choose to be in it because the world has always been about change people who don't change will find themselves like folk musicians playing in museums and local as a motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's brilliant what a great quote but yeah, that's about uh, Rubber Band EP, which um, has just come out. Yeah, we've done like a time machine piece on that, which is sort of like a moment in a moment in history type piece on it. Yeah, when he got, he got released from his um, Columbia Records contract, he went mad for a bit. Just doing it, he was just kind of let loose. Yeah. To do whatever he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And this stuff never saw the light of day because it was it's not what they wanted. That's not what his new label wanted. So he did this all this kind of mad... And it's almost kind of, if you listen to it, it's almost art of noisy. Right. That kind of... It's very interesting. Right. So yeah, it's a good tale. I saw him, saw him at a festival once, in, playing at a festival in France in about 1980, late 80s at some point. Maybe early 90s. No, late 80s, I don't know. Um, you saw him, didn't you, Mel Mark? I did, yeah. Fun? I saw him in London in 86 or 7, I think. Oh, in Tesco. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> in a trumpet shop. <laughs> We've got The There as well, which is always great to see Matt Johnson in the magazine. I went, yeah. to, a, <clears throat> I went to see one of the warm-up dates for the London show, so he played, he rebooted The The, played three, three shows before the big... London shows. There's two in, two in Nottingham and one in Leeds. And I popped up there, 
Let's have a look. It's, it's all good. right. It's all right. Played some songs. Yeah. Did some singing. We've got yeah. an extract yeah. from the 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 book in the, the new the issue. Book in the next issue, haven't we? We have. Um, Steady on. So sorry, jumping ahead there. So yeah, there you go. So yeah, you can yes, you'll need to go to the newsagent and get this one. Boys and girls. Yeah, heartily recommend that. It's got a big mute wo walking man on the cover, so you can't really miss it. Yeah. It's lovely. Right next to Angling Times. <laughs> as and, usual. And Knitting Monthly. Yeah, as usual. In your favourite yeah. local smiths. We just wanted to do a little obituary as well, didn't we? Yeah. Before we finish. It's Lost another one. Very sad news that Roy, Roy Carr, who was... Um, at the NME for many, many years, and was just a, a just a huge figure in uh, music journalism in the UK for many, many years. Uh, sadly, died a couple of days ago. Um, I think he was about 73, 74. Um, and lots and lots of stories about Roy, because because they just are. Um, he was. Uh, we all knew him, didn't we, in various different yeah. different kind of times and different ways. He, he was, was always around at, in, uh, at Melody Maker. Yeah. Just wandering about. Yeah, yeah. he'd just pop in. And Everybody knew <clears throat> Roy. You know, when yeah. you worked at NME and Melody Maker, it was back in the kind of day, there was this this supposed rivalry between the two papers, which sort of was, was there, but the writers themselves kind of tended to get on because we all kind of went on trips together and did stuff together. and. And I think Roy was somebody that everybody knew. He was very involved with Vox as well when that was launched and, and, and uncut. He was well, publishing director or something, wasn't he? Was, mm, no, he was probably managing editor or something managing like that. Editor, something. He, had a, he had a title. Because right. yeah, yeah. he was staff writer at the enemy. Because he started off at, with, I think he started off at Merseybeat. Right. Uh, when that started off, because he had very close links with the Beatles. Bill Harry. And Bill Harry, who launched Mersey Beat, the magazine. <clears throat> and I think that's where he started, or it may be a local paper, Northern Neck or something like that, mm. where he started. But he came to London and joined the NME quite sort of early on in the... Um, late 60s. Late 60s, yeah. yeah. Um, and was then there as a staff writer throughout the 70s. Um, and then after, uh, you know, later on, he when I I joined Muddy Maker in the mid-85, in and mid-80s, and... I think Roy was maybe still at NME at the time, I can't really remember, but a little bit later on he became, he just became the kind of go-to guy for putting together all of the all of the tapes and the CDs and things that came cover mounts. Um, and I, I don't know when that started with him, I'm presumably at the NME when he started putting them together in maybe about 80, 80 81. I don't know whether he did stuff before that, licensing things, but he he became the guy that put together all those enemy tapes and and after that stuff for Vox, stuff for Uncut and stuff for Music and stuff for Melody Maker and he did all of that so everybody kind of knew him. Um, but the impact that those, the cassettes especially, those early 80 cassettes, so Dancing Master's the one for me. Yeah. But there was one before that as well. Was well it, it was Mighty Real which I think was before that. C81 was the one that I, was the first one that I really remember. Who was on that? Oh, I, I can't remember to be honest with you, because I mean, to me they all merge. Mm. You know, they kind of merge into one. <clears throat> the, these, there was a whole load of them, weren't there, and there's particularly the early 80s. 
And he also did things like he put together a Stax compilation, I remember, and that was also fantastic. Tracks I'd never heard, never heard any of, never listened to any of those artists before, and it was just brilliant. Yes, yeah, so chess. Many, I think he did a chess record right, as well. So many things, particularly in the 80s, you were introduced to via those yeah. cassettes. And yeah, and it was Roy that well, did was, them. That's how I found Talking Heads, because there was a live version of Cities, Cities John yeah. Dancing Master. Wow. It just yeah. sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before. It's, you know, so off you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I started, started funky for Jamaica, that. It does, that yeah. It does. Witches. It does. It's just surreal. So, and Roy was a huge jazz buff. He mm. really knew his jazz. And that, that was, you know, that was a big thing with him. And um, Yeah, so all of those tapes really is a legacy for what for what he did. is incredible, really. Aside from his writing as well, you know, as a, as a staff writer, he wrote loads of stuff as well. But I think that's what most people were, and always unsung really I mean there was always uh, compiled by Roy Carr is on all of them but you know way down there in the small print um, yeah he was and it, I remember he had an office um, that that was somewhere maybe the 25th or 26th floor of King's Reach Tower one of the floors that the enemy or the melody maker was on um, and uh, when music was launched in 95 I think we had an office, the room we began the magazine in was like a, a small room where they kind of squeezed five or six of us into to see if we could make it work. And I think Roy's, Roy's office was sort of next door, next door but one. And um, he was brilliant because he was just very, very supportive of what we were doing. It wasn't, it wasn't his type of music, but he, he, but he still got it actually. You know, Roy really understood the importance of moving forward in music and, and doing new things. Um, and he was, yeah, he was, uh, he was great to talk to, because you could always just go in there and he would sort of like lighten things. There's a, a couple, of, when this happens, as ever, there's, there's some anecdotes kind of popping up on social media and there's a, a couple of brilliant ones I was reading this morning about, uh, one about him and Lennon. Which is just extraordinary. It goes because he knew Lennon right from the early '60s because he was in a band. Yeah. And and they played on the same bill and uh, Roy's band were, were on EMI and I think possibly even before the Beatles were signed. I'm not quite sure of the of the chronology, but um, you know that. So he kind of knew him as a, a leather-clad oik. Yeah. And, and describes him as this sort of you know typical scouser, you know, just big mouth. Um, but later on, he, Roy became his, uh, he started getting, apparently, he started collecting Beatles memorabilia, Lennon, when he was in the Dakota. Um, and he would call up Roy, who, <laughs> who knew loads of record collectors, yeah, yeah. And, and he'd say stuff like, oh, Roy, I'm after a, a Beatles lunch pail, can you find one? And then Ron would, uh, Roy would, would go off and sort of, you know, find one for him, find a guy who might sell him one. And, uh, but the other anecdote he tells about the Stones is just... Well, this band supported oh, the, the Stones. Yeah. It's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely incredible. <laughs> so this, is, this must be, what, 64? 64, it was 1964, yeah. And he, he's describing the... Uh, was it, It's in Blackpool, where the whole factory towns had closed down in those days in August, and the, the entire workforce would descend on Blackpool. And half of the lads were there just there for a punch-up, and... The, he describes one of them, 
they, they turn up and they just have hammers in their pockets, <laughs> ready for fighting. God. Jesus, what? Crying out loud. That's the North, Marcus, you know. <laughs> Hard knocks. It reminds me of that scene in that Crave, the film about the Crave brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah, Legend. Legend, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's the hammer scene in that with right. fighting, isn't it? Blimey. Yeah. And yeah, he saves Charlie Watts drum kit, doesn't he? He does, and he to, it says to him, <laughs> I wouldn't have fucking bothered if it had been yeah. me. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking to him only a year and a half or so ago. Yeah, we, we saw him. He was, he, was, he was poorly then, wasn't he? To he be, wasn't to be well, he, yeah. was, he was a bit poorly. But I was, you know, I've always, I always saw Roy around in the office and I knew about his background, but I, uh, I was always a bit shy to ask for, you know, anecdotage. Yeah, well, you wouldn't then, get you wouldn't get out of his office for a, <laughs> for a while, that, you know, I, which I, was always when brilliant. When we were chatting to him a year and a half ago, we, we were talking about other stuff. But I was I was dying to say, so Roy, tell me about John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> I just set him off. But, yeah. um I'm sure we'll read a lot more about uh, about his various anecdotes. Yeah, I'd, yeah, it's um, it's very sad. Um, there's so much. There's so many stories. Um, I've kind of. It's one of those things that you think, well, somebody should have written a book about him. <clears throat> why didn't Why didn't somebody write a book? There are some YouTube videos of him being interviewed. Um, so maybe have a have a Google and see if you can. He find was interviewed there. quite a lot, though, wasn't he? By I was reading someone who said they sat down and did a load of interviews with him. So he was kind of people did talk to him. So hopefully, hopefully, there's stuff. Out, stuff well, there is stuff out there. I mean, Alan Jones um, certainly got loads of stories about him. They were they were good buddies for a long time. And um, yeah, I think there's probably is enough out there. But it's one of those things that you know, like with the passing of people, you think about what's lost at that point, and it's always a way that you think, oh, we should have somebody should have sat down with him for a, for six months and got it all out of him. And there are others who they, but that should be happening with right now, people, you know. Well, I suppose with music journalists, maybe the idea is you do it fucking self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's our job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit lazy, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, RIP Roy, you're a diamond geezer. Okay. Say it then. Any other business? Don't think so. I think we're done for now. Really, we're, we've got a. We're, we're sort of, as somebody said, we were, we're a bit late getting this podcast out, so there'll be another one fairly soon. Um, <clears throat> like buses, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So you wait for so long for a podcast, and then two come along. All which. those letters that we've had, emails yeah. saying, "Where's the Where's the, the podcast?" Where's yeah. Podcast? I know. I have got one. I did have one. Not well, a you letter. wrote it. Yeah. I did, yeah. <laughs> I emailed myself. Fresh. I emailed it from my private account to my work account saying, where's the next podcast? Thank you for listening. Um, go into the shops and look for the Mute Records issue and um, we'll be with you again very shortly. Goodbye. See you, See you later. <laughs>